Thanks for listening to Faith Assembly Podcast. Join us Sunday mornings at the Somerville campus at 9 or 11 a.m. and at the North Charleston campus at 1045 a.m. Thank you. We hope God richly blesses you through listening. Take your Bibles out and turn to Matthew chapter 26. We have been in a series entitled Rocky, and I hope you've been able to draw the analogy and the comparisons. We've been looking at the life of Peter, and I think probably one of the most memorable stories in Peter's life is his denial of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're all familiar with it. If you study the Word of God or know God's Word at all, you you know about those three times when Peter's in the courtyard. He says, I don't know the man. And probably one of the things that may endear our hearts to Peter is because he reminds us so much of ourselves. I don't know about you, but I, I see myself in the courtyard. I see myself in Peter. Many times I've failed the Lord. Many times I've hurt him, denied him in so many different ways. So we're going to look about this morning at at this story in the Word of God, this powerful story, and I believe we're going to find grace for all of us today. Let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. Matthew chapter 26, and we'll begin with verse number 69. Now Peter sat outside the courtyard and a servant girl came to him and said, You also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you are saying. And when he had gone out of the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, This fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied with an oath, saying, I do not know that man. A little later Those who stood by came and said to Peter, Surely you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you. And then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. Immediately the rooster crowed. Peter remembered the words of Jesus who said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. Father, today as we open up your word, I pray you'll help us this morning. I thank you, God, for your incredible grace today. Thank you, God, for your sweet spirit that is here this morning to forgive and to cleanse and to minister grace to we who have failed you so many times. We need you today. Help us, I pray. Help me as I preach. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. God bless you. October 30th, 1974. That's a long time ago. Many of you weren't around then. I was. Remember what happened back in 1974 on October 30th? It was was that fight that everyone had been waiting for. Everyone had been anticipating when Muhammad Ali would fight George Foreman. And they would square off in a boxing ring in Zaire. Africa. And Ali called it the rumble in the jungle. How many remember the rumble in the jungle? Let me see your hand. It was, it was quite an incredible fight. And at that time, George Foreman was heavily favored because he was the, probably the strongest puncher to ever live. He had the hardest hitting boxer of any boxer of all time possibly. And he felt confident that he could finish off this young 
upstart braggart guy by the name of Muhammad Ali. But Ali used a technique in that fight that it had never been used up till that time. It's called the rope-a-dope. And if you remember the rope-a-dope, Ali got one of the corners of the ring and he held his hands up in front of his face and his arms in front of his body. In the meantime, George Foreman, for about seven to eight rounds, pummeled the side of his body and his arms with vicious blows that the heaviest hitter of all time could lay upon Muhammad Ali. But there came a time when the punches lost their sting and, and, and Muhammad Ali could sense it and he was losing his power. His arm strength was leaving after pounding on his body round after round after round. And so in that special moment in time, Ali bounced off the ropes and he proceeded to knock George Foreman out. He laid him out on the canvas. George Foreman believed in himself. He was a confident boxer who delivered the hardest and most powerful blows possibly of all time. And yet he lost the fight. And not only was he knocked out in the ring, but he was also knocked into the retirement. Because after that fight, he announced his retirement. I'm going to box no more. 2,000 years ago, there was another man who was also very confident. There was a, he, he, he feared nobody. He feared nothing. He was a very brave, he was an outgoing man. Uh, and in conflict, he's the guy you could count on. His name was Peter, which interpret means Rocky. So the name Peter meant Rocky. And he was a rock of loyalty, and he was a rock of courage, uh, and he was a rock of strength, uh, and he possessed all those great qualities. Remember, it was Rocky, and I already preached about this. It was Rocky that stepped out of the boat and walked on the water when he saw Jesus Christ coming across those waves. It was Rocky who made that incredible statement, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. It was, it was Rocky who said, even though everybody falls away, even though everybody leaves you, Lord, I will never leave you. It was Rocky who took out a sword to defend Christ against an entire mob who was coming into the Garden of Gethsemane. That was Rocky doing all those kinds of things. You see, when, whenever something you say and stand for, and if somebody had to make a statement, if somebody had to go to the forefront, uh, Rocky was there, you could count on him. Uh, Rocky was a simple man. He was an uncomplicated fisherman. He was passionate about Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Rocky was willing to step in the ring and take on all comers and all challengers for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. But something goes wrong. He falls. He's struck down. He lands on the mat. Why, why did Rocky fail? I believe there's several reasons that Rocky may have felt. I want you to go to Luke chapter 22. Look at his bold declaration there to kind of get the setting. And you saw a little clip of it in the video. Luke 22 and verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I'm, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Now, I believe he meant those words when he said them. 
And then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you deny me three times that you know me. In other words, he says, Peter, you're not going to win this one. You're going down. You're going to turn away. You're going to fail. Your faith will falter. You're going to hit the mat. You're going down. And you're going down hard. But he added this word, but. And I, and I like that word. But I am praying for you. Aren't you glad to know uh, that even though the enemy be swinging his blows as hard as he can, Jesus Christ is praying for us? But I am praying for you, even though you're going down. I'm going to pray that you don't stay down for the count. You may hit seven, uh, you may hit eight, uh, you're going down. uh, But Rocky, you're going to get back up. uh, And when you get back up, I'm also going to pray that you strengthen your brothers as well. Praying for you. What happened to Rocky? Why did he fail? I mean, I mean, maybe any of the other disciples, but not, not Rocky. Why did he go down? I want to propose three reasons for you. And, and, and we need to really get this this morning because every one of us here are susceptible today. If, if he can do it, I can do it. Why did he fall? Well, first of all, I believe because of compromise. Compromise. Go back, if you would, to Matthew 26. Look at verse number 58. And Peter followed him at a distance to the high priest's courtyard, and he went in and sat with the servants to see the end. You know, his love was anxious to follow. The love drove him to be to find out what was going to happen to Jesus Christ, and so he followed, but his cowardice kept him from staying close to Jesus. Middle ground. Middle ground is, is not too hot, not too close, and not too cold, or not too far away. John writes the churches, and he says, I would that you were hot or cold, uh, but you're lukewarm. You're somewhere caught in the middle. And it's that whole lukewarm thing. It's that, it's that middle ground thing that gets us caught in the middle. And when you follow Christ from afar, you will start to grow cold spiritually. You can't follow Jesus from a distance. It will not work. He demands our all. It's, it's kind of like I'll identify with Christ on Sunday. But I'll keep my distance the rest of the week. That might be a good place for an amen, somebody. You see, what happens is, when you begin to cool spiritually, you will turn to the world's fire for warmth. Now follow the analogy here. He's following from a distance. He's cooling off. And so he has to find warmth somewhere, and he goes to the world's fire. And if you are following Christ from a distance, uh, you will turn to the world's fire for your comfort. Uh, You'll turn to alcohol to forget. You'll turn to drugs to escape. You will turn to the fires of lust. Because I'm always 
following from a distance. I, I want to go to church. I want to identify with God's people. I want to look good. I want to keep up appearances. Uh, but the danger is when you follow from a distance, you begin to cool off and you begin to find your warmth somewhere else. Uh, and Peter stands by the fire with Jesus' enemies uh, and the Bible says he begins to warm himself. This scene is incredible. Jesus is, is in the cold judgment hall and he's going to be tried and he's going to be beaten and he's going to be robed and he's going to be mocked and made fun of and peter's warming himself hiding his identity as a disciple and mixing with the rest of the crowd listen to first corinthians fifteen thirty three. it's a warning for all of us it says don't be deceived evil company corrupts good habits there's, there's a warning there to avoid those compromising situations of, 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 of remaining in the company of the ungodly and allowing them to influence us. Listen, if you're a child of God, you don't need to stop by the bar on your way home. You have no business being there. If you're a child of God, you don't have to tune into the filthy movies of this world uh, that have sexual conduct and filthy language uh, and just say, well, I can filter all that out. Uh, I want to tell you, listen, we don't have to sit in the seat of scorn for uh, Psalm 1 and verse 1 says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, uh, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. When you go into an R-rated movie, you think, oh, I'm an adult, I can handle it. You are sitting in the seat of scornful and the ungodly. Got no business being there. You're warming your hands by the fires of this world. And you'll come to church and you'll identify with the rest of the body on Sunday morning. Friday or Saturday night, we party and we gather around the fire. Peter stood by the ungodly fire and it resulted in his denying the Lord three times. Listen now, if God leads you to the ungodly to be a witness, you don't have to be afraid. The Bible says the Holy Spirit will give you boldness and he'll give you the words to say. I am not saying we are not to be with the ungodly. How else can we lead them to the Lord Jesus Christ? But if you're hiding out, by the world's fire. If you're playing this chameleon thing, uh, I'm one thing in church, uh, but I'll look like everybody else the rest of the time. Uh, listen, you are messing with fire and you're going to get burned. It's a dangerous place to be. When you're in a battle, when you're in a warfare, and every one of us are in a warfare, the middle ground is the most dangerous place because you're going to get shot at from both sides. The target of the enemy. You're most vulnerable to temptation. You forfeit the peace of God. The terrible place to be. Compromise. Following from a distance. Just identifying enough so we can keep up appearances. But we're doing our own thing with the ungodly the rest of the week. And as a result, the enemy's going to take you out. And on the other side, you never know that real peace of God that comes from total surrender to Him. Stay close to the Lord. Stay close to the Lord. I, I think the second reason he, he failed, was knocked down, went down to the canvas, was because of pride. 
Go back to Matthew 26. Look at verse 31. You see a certain pride and arrogance in Peter. And he's setting himself up for this fall. And Jesus said, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you into Galilee. Peter answered and said, even if all are made to stumble because of you. In other words, everybody else, all the other disciples may fall away. Not me. You, you catch that element of pride right there? I'm a little bit better than the rest of the guys. I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, before the night that rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And Peter said, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. You know, when you think about this story, as we follow it through the rest of this week, and I want you to go back and reread the Passion Week during just the life of Christ this last week. It is so incredible. It is a powerful, moving drama for us. You also see Judas. And, and you see Judas's betrayal. And yet on the one hand, Judas' betrayal was probably not as shocking as Peter's denial. For this reason, the Word of God sets us up for what's going to happen to Judas. Uh, just a few chapters earlier, you see Judas, when the lady comes in and breaks up the, the ointment and, and that, that costly bottle of spikenard and pours it all over his feet. Uh, and, and, and Judas says, why all this waste? All this money could have been sold and given to the poor. And the scripture writers go on to say, he said this knowing that he was a thief. And so we kind of can see uh, Judas's covetousness coming up. And his betrayal of Jesus Christ. We're, we're forewarned about this in the word of God. But when, when Rocky falls, we never saw it coming. It's like he's the one guy we thought was going to make it. And really be right there to the very end. He boasted of his superiority over all the other brethren. None of his fellow disciples expected this rock man, Rocky, to have feet of clay. The Bible says, Wherefore, let him who thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. You see, as soon as we begin to brag and boast and get puffed up in ourselves about our abilities, let me tell you what happened. God bails out on us. I'm going to tell you, when, when we start bragging about who we are in Christ, the Lord bails out. Because the Bible says God resists the proud. So the more we brag and boast about our abilities, the more God says, okay, you're on your own, buddy. You think you're so hot? Let's see how you make it. And he pulls back his presence and allows us to fall flat on our face. That's exactly what happened to Peter. That's exactly what happens to every one of us. Peter has a plan. He, he thinks he can improve upon God's plan. And I told you the story a couple of weeks ago of how when they came into the garden and they rushed upon him, he takes the sword, he turns the violence, he says, my way is the best way, I'll defend you. And he, and he tries to defend Christ with physical means. He says, I'm not going to let that happen. But God's plan was always to offer up His Son as a sacrifice for us. If someone attacks our Lord, if someone attacks our faith, if someone attacks our church, the tendency is we get angry and we get defensive. And our pride rises up. But God calls us to do 
deal differently with this world. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Look, if you would, at verse number 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. We are fighting a different fight than the world fights. And in the natural, we want to fight in our own strength, in our own might, and our pride rises up, and we begin to think, i got a better way, I've got a better idea, and we insist upon our own way and our own will. And the Bible says that's not the way we do spiritual warfare. In Ephesians 6 and 12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. You see, the reason Peter lost this round is because he forgot who he belonged to. He tried to fight the battle in his own strength, and he failed miserably. And so I think the lesson for us is we've got to guard against self-confidence. We've got to guard against, I'm better than the rest of the people in the church. And I'm something really special. And I'm a spiritual giant in my journey. And I've got it all together. And boy, aren't I a great guy. And as soon as we kind of begin to think that stuff, God pulls back and we fall flat on our face. Pride will bring you down. And then I think the third reason that he failed, because of prayerlessness. Go back to Matthew 26. Matthew 26 and verse 36. Then came Jesus to the place called Gethsemane. Said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there. He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. And he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. And he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. Stay here and watch with me. A little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to his disciples and found them sleeping. He said to Peter, What could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. The second time he went away again, saying, Oh, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, lest I drink it. Your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were very heavy. So he left them and went away and prayed the third time, saying the same words. And he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. You see, there are times it's okay to sleep. But when we are going to face a trial or a test of that magnitude, we better be at prayer. There are times to fast. There are times to pray. I think Pastor Jason preached a powerful message last Sunday morning on the power of prayer and fasting for our teenagers. Listen, there are those times that, that, that we need to seek God for those crises that are going to come. Now, you may be thinking in your mind, I don't know when the crisis is going to come. Well, then the good news is to take the advice, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. We ought to be people of prayer. 
And it will pray and seek God every day and will spend time in His presence and will meditate on the Lord. Then when those times of temptation come, then when those trials come, then when those tests come, we'll be ready and we won't go down. I can only think if Peter had watched and prayed in Gethsemane, he may have survived the ordeal by the fire. Now, let me just pause here for a moment. It's easy to throw stones at Peter and and for what he did and, and for what he said and the way he denied the Lord. But I wonder how often have we denied the Lord with our own words? How often have I denied the Lord with my actions? You know, we, we, we can come in and put on a good show on Sunday and engage in our secret sins during the week and no one knows or no one sees. We're just like Peter. And when around the fires of gossip, Instead of going up and saying, listen, don't talk like that, guys. We add our own two cents about whoever they're talking about. And so we gather around the fires of gossip and we betray one another. And in business, we're we're tempted to compromise our integrity for expediency. We cut corners and we rip people off and cheat on our taxes. And when the jokes and language are coarse at the office, we get right in that fire and we laugh with the rest of them and we blend right in because we don't want them to think we're strange or or we're weird or or we're out of touch with today. Uh, And so we just gather around that fire and we share in the coarse jokes and the language and everything else. Uh, I want to tell you, if you are a child of God, you will not be the most popular person at work. Because the Bible says we are a holy people. We are a peculiar people. We are to be set apart from the rest of the world. There ought to be a difference in every child of God. Gather around that fire. I've got great news for all of us. God's a loving God. God's a gracious God. And God will give us second chances. Jump down, if you would, to verse 75. Matthew 26 and verse 75. Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and he wept bitterly. We have a merciful, faithful, high priest. The Bible says he will not break a bruised reed, nor will he snuff out a smoldering wick. He loves you. He cares about you. And if you'll repent and you'll turn to him, I don't care how many times you may have failed, how many times you may have denied him throughout the week with your activities or your words. The good news is God is merciful. God will cleanse you and God will forgive you. Now, look at that phrase, before the rooster crows. I think there's some great significance in that crowing rooster. We kind of, we've read that so many times, we know it's just a part of the story, but, but I think there's some real meaning to that rooster crowing. First of all, I think the rooster crowing tells us that Jesus Christ was always in charge. He was always in charge, even though he is standing trial, even though he has been bound, even though he is being tried and accused and spat upon, he either told the rooster when to crow, 
or he foresaw into the future the precise time when Peter would deny him and he knew it was at that time a rooster would be crowing sometime in the morning. But for what, however he made it happen at the precise time when Peter denied him the third time, all of a sudden you hear cock-a-doodle-doo in the background. Jesus Christ was never out of control. He is fully in control. He knows every event surrounding what's about to take place. I think the second thing that that rooster crowing tells us is the rooster crowing was an extension of an invitation for Peter to repent. You're going to hear the rooster crow. You know, Peter, those words came back to Peter. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. But he also, the words came back, I have prayed for you that you will not be destroyed ultimately. And so for Peter, when that rooster crowed, it was that signal of his conscience. It's Time to repent. And when that rooster's crowing in the background, the words are coming, repent, repent, repent. I talked about Judas, and there's this contrast taking place between Judas and Peter. And, and I, think, I think Judas gives us an example of what I would call worldly sorrow. And Peter gives us an example of what I call godly sorrow. Turn, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And jump down, if you would, to verse number 9. Judas cried. Peter cried. What's the difference? Look at verse 9. Now I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. Now, Now, Judas was sorry. The Bible says he cried, he wept, he had remorse, he had regret, he tried to give the money back, you remember the story, but yet it still produced death. Paul writes to Corinthians and he says there's a worldly sorrow that leads to death. Peter also had remorse. Peter also had regret. Peter also had sorrow. But I believe he added one key word in there, and that's the word repentance. And sorrow and regret plus repentance leads to change. Leads to a second chance leads to life. And by the time you get to John chapter 21, Peter is restored now completely to ministry as well. Listen, do we cry when we get caught? Do we weep when our sins are found out? Or do we cry because we've sinned against God and failed Him? Worldly sorrow is inward. Worldly sorrow says, it's my wound, you've hurt me, it's my offense, it's my betrayal, and everybody's done all this stuff against me, and we rationalize our sin. Godly sorrow is Godward focused. It says, I have wounded you, I have offended you, I have betrayed you, and it leads us to the cross. There's a difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. Listen, are you broken because we get the penalty? Or are we broken so that God can rebuild us and restore our lives again? 
Are we depressed and hopeless like Judas after we have sinned and failed God? Or do we believe in the power of Calvary and the power of the blood of Jesus Christ and his power to forgive us and cleanse us and bring change? Peter found repentance while Judas found death. We need to know the difference, church, between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. I believe the third thing the rooster, though, reminds us of, and the last thing is this. Roosters crow in the morning. They, they crow to start out a brand new day. I'm, I'm kind of glad I, I don't live on a farm, and at 5 a.m. or 6.30, that rooster starts crowing and signaling the time to get up. I, I like to be able to set my own alarm. But the rooster crowing signaled a brand new day for Peter. Listen to Psalm 30 and verse 5. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Listen, the same hand that reached out and picked Peter up when he's drowning in the water was going to extend his hand one more time and pick him up off that mat and that rooster would crow. But through Jesus Christ, the Bible says, looked at Peter. And when he looked at him, uh, I believe he melted, he broke down, uh, he repented, uh, he cried out to God, uh, and he found grace and forgiveness and mercy, and Jesus Christ reached out with his hand uh, and picked him up all over again. And for Peter, it would be the start of a brand new day and a brand new chapter in his life. Listen, it's going to happen to every one of us, and it has, and it will happen again. There will be those times when we will fail the Lord. There will be those times when we blow it. But I want to tell you, listen, we'll embarrass him, we'll mess up, we'll say the wrong thing. But if we'll repent, if we'll say, God, I'm sorry, and it's against you and you only have I sinned, Christ will forgive us, and he will cleanse us Uh, that's the reason he died in the first place to take away our sins he forgave rocky he can forgive every one of us you see peter's fall in the courtyard by this fire is recorded in full detail i believe the holy spirit wanted those words in there not just simply to tell us the story which it does But it also shows us how weak every single one of us really are in ourselves. It also shows us that anyone can fail and anyone can fall. But it also shows us that Christ is able to forgive any sin we may have ever done. Listen, we'll get knocked down in the ring many times. But the Lord is able to help us up each and every time. And then he gets us into the corner of the ring. And he begins to wipe off our face. And he begins to patch up our wounds. And he puts the salve on the wounds. And he, he covers over the cuts. And he gives us fluids for our body to refresh us. And, and he wipes away the sweat. And then he lifts us up again. And he says, brother, you can do it. Now go back out of the ring and let's do it for God. God's grace is incredible. God's Grace is incredible. And there is hope for every single one of us through the cross of Calvary. Thanks for listening. For more, check out faithishere.org.